Here we are back in Romans. If you're new with us, we're on this journey through the book of Romans. Today we will attempt to cover four verses. Verse 21, 22, 23, 24, and even into 25 uh, in Romans 3. So I hope your heart is prepared. This section is what several commentators and preachers would consider to be the heart that beats the book of Romans. These verses, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, this is the heartbeat of this wonderful book. And I hope your heart is prepared to receive these gracious words from Almighty God. This morning we're going to introduce this word. We've already kind of touched on it, but there's this theological word called justification. It certainly is not one to be scared of. This is one to hug and bring as close as you possibly can. Especially after interacting with this other ugly word, this ugly word called condemnation. Now we come to this concept of justification. If you turn your hand out over every week, we kind of try to walk through this journey. You'll see there the introduction to the book, chapter 1, 1 through 17. We, we sort of saw Paul just highlight a couple of these terms. The, the righteousness of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he went into this first major section. And this was ugly. <laughs> every week for the last two months you have been debating whether you want to come to church on Sunday morning. <laughs> I got to hear more of this bad news. My kids got to sit back and hear some more of how bad we are. Hey, brothers and sisters in Jesus, that's the Word of God. And so you have faithfully obeyed God. You've come to hear the preaching of the Word. You've understood this ugly part of Romans, the bad news. You interacted with this basic concept that God's righteousness is revealed through condemnation. And now, having realized that every single human being stands guilty before God because every single human being is a sinner, we come to this section. The most astounding and mind-boggling part of the entire book of Romans. And it is this. God's righteousness is revealed through the justification of sinners. So do you remember this question? We started out a couple months ago with this question. Paul is compelling us to answer this question in every section of the book of Romans. Here's the question. How can a righteous God make an unrighteous person righteous and do it in a righteous way? <laughs> I'll say that one more time because it nuances almost every par portion of the word righteous. How can a righteous God make an unrighteous person righteous in his eyes, but do it in a way that is completely righteous? That's the book of Romans. And so now when we get to chapter 3, verse 20, that tension is alive. In some of our minds, I mean, if this was a, a new book to you, and you didn't know ch chapters 4, 5, 6, and on, you would be reading this, and you would be tempted to think, well, this God is kind of a... I mean, if we're just going to say it, this is kind of a monster God. 
Which, by the way, this is the God that certain modern cults and world religions will embrace. A monster-type God that you have to do something to impress, to work off this sin. Well, we come to this section, chapter 3. And this courtroom scene that we've gone to all the way through this so far, in chapters 1 through 3, this courtroom setting, and you can kind of put yourself in this courtroom By the end of chapter 3, the entire courtroom has observed the graphic evidence of sin. And they're astounded. Not a single one, like we talked about the last couple weeks, every mouth is stopped. Not a single one can speak to justifying this sin. The prosecuting attorney has made an impeccably clear case against you. The judge has just dynamically pronounced your very, very, very bad news. And here is the undeniable verdict based on the case. You are guilty before an almighty God. All ears in the courtroom are silent. All eyes are on you. And there's absolutely nothing you can do on your own. There's this sense of melting. (laughs) You don't want to dig a hole and crawl in it. And through the drawing of the Holy Spirit of God, the only thing that you can possibly yell is this. Help. I need help. We've gone through chapter 1, 2, and 3. We're standing in this courtroom condemned before a holy God. And we're standing there looking around saying, can can anyone hear me? I, I need rescued. I cannot escape the weight of this condemnation. I, I need help. And then... These two words in Romans chapter 1, or 3, verse 21. I'm going to tell you, if you highlight, if you circle, if you underline, do it to these two words. But now. The case has been made. We're in the depths of despair. And Paul enters into Romans 3.21 with these two beautiful words. Not some future point, but now. Not, you condemned sinners, get your act together, clean up your lives, and then something amazing is going to happen to you. That's not the case. The two words in this text that are very clear, but now. Paul says this in Romans 5 is while we were still sinners this God of heaven is not looking down on his creations and actively working in the life of his creation saying oh I just wish you guys would clean up your act so I can come down and redeem you this is a God of heaven that is looking down and interacting in a sovereign way to save his people 
And then, then these two words, Romans 3.21, are followed by a beautiful, beautiful explanation of this justification. Would you join me this morning in just following these next verses? Verse 21, but now, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, verse 22, the righteousness of God, here it is, through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24. And are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by what? Faith. Let's try that one more time. To be received by what? Faith. Okay, so what is this? We've been waiting two months for these five verses. How can a righteous God make an unrighteous person righteous and do it in a righteous way? The only possible answer in human history designed before the even foundations of the world is these, are these three words. Through Jesus Christ. In these five verses, we have the amazing terms of the gospel. The gospel of rescue. Okay, so you might have and documents that you've interacted with, maybe even this week. You have terms and conditions of agreement. You have terms of service. You have terms of use. Well, Romans 3, 21 through 25 is one of the clearest texts in all of scriptures laying out the terms of our rescue. This is, these are the terms of our relationship with God. Terms of justification. Terms of gospel redemption. However you want to put it. These are the boundaries of this gospel restoration. And what are these terms that we're going to look at today is so beautifully articulated in this passage? These are terms we're not unfamiliar with. In fact, these are terms that set the world ablaze 500 years ago at the Reformation. What are we talking about? Justification is only by God's grace. Term one. Term two. Boundary two. Justification is only in Jesus Christ. Term or boundary three. Justification is only through saving faith. By grace alone in Christ alone, through faith alone. My friends who came to church this August, it's already August, Sunday morning, we're going to hear about these terms through the rest of this chapter, through the rest of this book. The biblical fact is this, we do not get to choose how we will be rescued. Catch that. 
We don't get the option of choosing how we're going to find our way to God. No matter what this popular talk lady says, Oprah, not all paths lead to God and His righteousness. This is an exclusive path that God Almighty has designed and has written down very clearly in the holy text of Scripture. Salvation and justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Before we jump into these concepts, though, these terms, I want us to look at this word. Okay, this, so, so often we, when I come on Sunday morning or we do Bible studies during the week, it's like we embrace these terms and we just take for granted that everybody knows them, right? And so it's kind of like this Christianese talk. And I understand there's some, especially young ones here, that you're like, justification. <laughs> what, Pastor Andrew? I don't want to take that for granted. So what is this word? This is one of the best words in all of the Bible. Paul, and three times in this one little section, by the way, this section will run to the, the next couple of verses. They all kind of go together. Justification by faith. But he uses this term, verse 20, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Justification. Verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift. Verse 28, we'll look at, uh, not next week, but the week following. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So what is this justification? Well, if we can summarize it down to a simple term and uh, definition, which you've heard probably, it would be something like this. It is a declaration of righteousness. It is a legal term. This is where justification puts us right back into the courtroom. It is a legal term that means to vindicate someone. It means to declare a favorable verdict. So this person who has now received this verdict of guilty, looking around for help, there's someone that does stand up. There's someone that does stand up and declare righteousness. And we're going to hear about that person in just a minute. It means to be acquitted. Justification means to be acquitted of all charges. A pronouncement that the standard has been met. The payment has been received. All right, now let's look at these terms that will point out this key truth. We'll develop this key truth today. The key truth is this. Justification is according to God's exclusive terms. It's one of the blanks on your hand out there. Justification is according to God's exclusive terms. You don't get the privilege. I don't get the privilege. The next guru or religious leader does not get the privilege of telling us our terms of justification. One can do that, and it is the great creator and sustainer of all life. He tells us how justification will happen. Why? Well, you know this term. Because God is God and I am not. God's terms. Let's look at God's terms for declaration of righteousness, starting with this one. Justification is only by grace. What is grace? Paul uses this Greek word, charis, over a hundred times in his writings. 
It means an unearned and undeserved gift of favor. In theology, it is often referred to as unmerited favor. At the very, uh, very practically thinking of grace, if we want to kind of wrap our minds around what grace is, we need to think honestly about what happens at Christmas and birthdays. <laughs> okay, why? Because grace is saturated in the concept of gifting. This is a gift. I think there's a young lady right here with a birthday today. It is a gift. Probably we'll receive gifts today. It is a gift. When we think of God's grace, we must understand that this word grace is saturated with gifting. Justification can never be earned. It is an undeserved gift from God. God will, and we have to understand this, God will never, ever, ever, ever look down at a human being and say, that person has acted in such a way as to compel me to declare them righteous. God will never be impressed with our acts of righteousness to bring him, bring us into a right relationship with him. That will never happen. And the Old Testament clearly delineates this through, especially through the prophet Isaiah. You know what Isaiah says. What does he say in Isaiah 64, 6? We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. Some of your translations, I I like how it says better than even polluted garments. They are like filthy rags. So all of those nice garments that we place on, we're like, well, we look so good. I look so pretty in this. It's putrid. It's detestable. Because all of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. Paul continues on in this discussion. He says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Okay, so one thing we need to understand, this is a gift from God, and here's one way to look at it is by these three words in English, has been manifested. Okay? So who made himself known? God did. It was a choice of Almighty God to reveal His nature and His redemptive plan to His creations. Now Paul furthers this discussion. He says, now the righteousness of God has been manifested, and then he wants to very clearly articulate that you cannot earn this. You cannot. How does he say it? It's apart from the law. He just argued that in the last couple chapters. You can't follow every detail of the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, all of the delineations in the Old Testament say, I'm good. Why? Because the purpose of the law is to prove that you can't do it, and no one will perfectly follow it, because no one will completely deal with their sin problem. What does the law do? Very clearly, as Paul's already shared with us, the law gives us a knowledge of sin. Here's what the law says. You can't do it, and you need to keep looking for someone who can do it. And that's Jesus. But Paul says the Old Testament is completely wasted, though. Why? Because what does the Old Testament do? 
the law and the prophets bear witness to it. That's so awesome. So we don't take the Old Testament out of our Bibles and be like, okay, we don't need this anymore. No, we diligently study the Old Testament of Scriptures. Why? Because it, because it reminds us how badly we need Jesus. And what is the Old Testament of Scripture telling us? Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. The rescuer's coming. Look for the rescuer. Look for the gift that I'm going to give you. Look for the gift. Here comes the gift. Paul states this very clearly. Very clearly, uh, we find verses 23 and 24, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. You cannot say it more clearly. This relationship that we have with God is not because you or I think we're good people. Because we're not. It is because God is gracious and he's gifted us. Paul's simple point, you cannot and will not ever, ever, ever be able to earn God's righteousness. It is only a gift of grace. Okay, let's just bring this down to a practical level of gifting. Think about these gifts. I will tell you one of my favorite times of year at Cross Point Community Church is October. Pastor Appreciation Month. You are awesome, too. And every Sunday, it's like I get a Hallmark card or something like that that has so encouraged me. I read, like, every word, and I store these cards away because they are encouraging. And some of you will put these awesome little gifts in there. Wonderful. Gift cards and other such things like that. How weird would it be in October... For me to go in that foyer, and when I'm saying goodbye or hello, I actually put myself behind a booth and be like, okay, how much does that cost, that card? Oh boy, that's got to be like a $5 card here. Oh, and you got a gift card to that here. That'd be ludicrous. Why? Because gifting doesn't require the payment by you. I mean, even more ludicrous would be the fact that I would be out there at... A table and the other elder pastors at Crosspoint, we set up our tables during October. And you walk in and we wave our hands and be like, hey, I'm going to give you this much for that gift. Don't go over there to that Chuck guy. Stay away from Jim. He'll put you to work. <laughs> but I got this amount of money. You come to me and I'll pay for that gift you're going to give me. How ridiculous would that be? Especially if we were really, really, really bad elders. And some of you are like, yeah, well, you are. <laughs> oh, but if we're really bad people and we're trying to wave people down and say, come here, give me a gift. And I'm going to pay you for that gift. It doesn't work that way. That is contrary to the concept of gifts. And the Bible says you cannot pay for the gift that God wants to give you in Jesus Christ. No matter how hard you try, you cannot pay for that. It is from me. And don't you ever forget it. That is the concept of grace in the Scriptures. For by grace you have been saved. You've been rescued. Paul uses another term that I'll just mention. 
presenting the grace of God is in verse 25. He says, whom God put forward. I'm not going to dig into that this morning, but the concept is this. God initiated this. You didn't do it. God did. Let's go to the next term, biblical terms of justification here. Justification is by grace alone or only by grace. And now, clearly, as all of the Bible teaches this truth, justification is only in Christ. Let's go right to the text, starting in verse 21, and you can kind of follow as I'll kind of work through this. And as we go through this, please circle or, or take mental note of how many times this is stated, in Christ Jesus, in Jesus Christ, by his blood, how many times Christ is referenced. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all who believe. For there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. What is Paul's dynamic point in this passage? Here it is. You will not find a declaration of righteousness, justification, anywhere else other than Jesus. And this is the same as what Peter ardently proclaims in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, as he's preaching Jesus. He says this, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You will not find salvation in any other person other than Jesus Christ. This is the exact same thing that Jesus Christ himself says, and as John records in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. This is the exact same thing that the Apostle Paul shares with his son in the ministry, Timothy. Prior to going on, passing on, Paul shares with Timothy these amazing truths in 1 Timothy 2, 5. You know them. Paul says to Timothy, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man. It is the man, Christ Jesus. Cannot find help in any other person other than Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one who could fix the mess of chapters 1 through 3. <laughs> Jesus is the only one who can give hope to the repentant sinner that is a truth suppressor. Jesus is the only one who could rescue the self-righteous worshiper. Why? Two very important words that we'll just touch on today. They'll be developed through the book of Romans. Redemption and propitiation. Two more of these wonderful words that we can't ignore. What is redemption? I'll just touch on this. There's much more to the story. But here in a basic form, it's this. It's deliverance through the payment of a ransom. It's liberation. It's freedom because someone stepped in and made a transaction. I love this. Let's go back to the courtroom. Everyone is stunned silent because the verdict of guilty. The judge has condemned, and you're standing there saying, can someone help me? And then Jesus Christ, the righteous, stands and says, I'm speaking for that person. 
My blood was a payment for his redemption. That's redemption. He uses another word, propitiation. Word we don't commonly use in our current vernacular, but a really important word. This propitiation by his blood, propitiation, simply enough, is the appeasing and the satisfying or the turning away of wrath. Wow. What a wonderful word. When you go to chapter 1, verse 18, and we find the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Like, man. And then here we are in these five verses saying, God, the Son, Jesus Christ, has appeased, satisfied, turned away the wrath of God. And how did he do that? He did that because he went to the cross and shed his blood. God's wrath was placed on Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. My friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, justification is in Christ alone because He is the only one who could pay the ransom while at the same time He is the only one who could satisfy the wrath of God. No one else could do that. Only Jesus Christ the right. So, young ones here today, trying to process this. Man, that pastor's up there saying a lot of words. <laughs> Please embrace these words. Love these words. Ask your parents about these words often. Redemption, propitiation. Third term that we'll look at today. So, God's justification is only by grace. Justification is only in Christ. Third, justification is only through faith. And this really is the primary theme of these five verses, is this, justification by faith. This word. Let's just read through this again. Circle the words faith, the word faith, or believe. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through what? Faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God put forward as the propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. I'm going to skip down to verse 28 just briefly. Verse 28 says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Clearly, faith is a big deal. <laughs> what is this faith? It is genuine trust. It is authentic belief. True biblical faith is not superficial acknowledgement. It is enduring trust. By the way, if you have questions about that, read through the book of James. True biblical faith is not a temporary agreement. It is a transformational belief. I'm embracing this the rest of my life. That is true biblical faith. Not that Hurdles won't come, sin won't happen, but faith is enduring. 
Paul's point is this. Because of your sin and falling short of God's glory, not one action you could ever, 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 ever do will ever bring you into a right relationship with God. The only action that counts is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and His victorious resurrection for sinners. Trust in Him and trust in that. God's terms are this. Justification is by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone. So what? You, you know these terms. You, you've heard this from the time you're a little critter in the two-year-old class. But how good is it to saturate ourselves regularly in these terms? In gospel proclamation. And, and some of you may be here not knowing these terms, and it is not a mistake that God has you here right now. I would encourage all of you to listen to this right now. no mistake that you're here. And the question is this, have you been justified according to God's terms? Not your terms. Not your favorite TV preacher's terms or guru's terms or author's terms. What are God's terms of justification? We're super good at complicating this equation. As humans, we're super good at tampering with these terms, changing them just a tad. I'm going to tell you, if you take all of the world religions and modern cults, other than biblical Christianity, those have attached themselves to the Word of God, rightly divided, you're going to find that every single one of these modern cults and world religions have diverted in even the slightest bit from one of all of these three terms. Even in the slightest. So we hold strong to the terms that Jesus gives us here. Salvation and just, justification is only by grace alone and Christ alone through faith alone. Practically, what does this mean for you? My unbelieving friend here today you're trying to sort through this stuff. You've sat through these sermons in the book of Romans and you're like, man, that, that guy's rough. <laughs> That's Paul. It's the Holy Spirit in the scriptures. But right, it, it's rough. It's bad news. But it all leads us to the beauty of the good news, Jesus Christ. All of the bad news that we've interacted with for two months now, every week coming thinking, oh dear, here comes some more. It all leads us to the beauty of this gift. I will tell you, one of my favorite things to do, speaking of birthdays, speaking of gifts, is especially watching toddlers open gifts. It's wonderful. Because you watch the parents, too, and they're so excited about this toy for this little two-year-old. And you wrap it up, and you watch the two-year-old come. There's a stack of maybe five, ten gifts. And we've shared this around Christmas time. Very similar. But they walk up to this gift, and they look at it, and they're like, oh, And they admire the wrapping, and they stick it down and go to the next one. Oh, and that one had butterflies on it. And this one's got unicorns on it. And this one has soccer balls on it. And the mom and dad are like, no, no, no. Here's what you do. You rip it apart like this. 
And they look at it, oh, I like this, and they put it down. And then they'll come to a, a gift, and they'll rip it open a little bit, and they'll look inside there, and there's a box. And they shake the box and look at it, and they're like, oh, that's super cool. And the mom and dad are like, no, 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 there's more than just the paper in the box. But then they go to the next present. Moms and dads are like, oh, we just wanted them to enjoy this present. Well, then they come to this other present, and they finally open the paper, the box, and they look at the toy, and they're like, yeah! And they put it down and go to the next one. And moms and dads are like, fail. (laughs) I really wanted to enjoy that present, right? They held it for one second and discarded it. But then there's this other gift. They don't just stop with the wrapping or the box. They don't just pick up the gift and discard it. They look at the gift, they embrace it with joy in their hearts, and they don't put it down for years to come. It's the kind of gift that they put in their memory box for the rest of their lives. I mean, there's some breakdowns in the illustration, but you know where we're going with that. The gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ is not one of these gifts that's offered to you through Jesus to look at and enjoy the pretty wrapping. It's not one that's supposed to stay in this box or even to be picked up and set down. The gift of God through Jesus Christ is one to be embraced and to take with you the rest of your entire life. This grace is, this gift is by God's grace through faith. For those of you here trying to put the pieces of this puzzle together, would you come to Jesus Christ this very morning in saving faith? I will close with this. In preparation for the sermon, I've, I've been overwhelmed. Tears in my eyes. With the story of two thieves on the crosses beside Jesus Christ, the righteous. Matthew 27, Luke 23, both tell this wonderful story. These thieves on the crosses were mocking Jesus. And in our minds, we think one of them was mocking, the other wasn't, because that's in Luke. But if you go to Matthew, you'll see that both of them were cursing Jesus. Both of them were mocking Jesus. And then one of them, on his cross dying, God transformed his life, and he repented of that mocking. Look at the text. It's there. He saw what was happening to Jesus Christ and his heart turned by grace. He repented on that cross. In remorse, this man says to Jesus in Luke 23, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. My friends, let's not complicate this. Where does salvation come from? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It comes from the man on the middle cross. The one that says, today you will be with me in paradise. I debated whether to do this, but I I want us to close out with just, I I don't often do this, but just an excerpt. It's about three minutes of a sermon. I enjoy listening to a guy named Alistair Begg. 
not everything that I embrace in his theology, but I love how he articulates the word of God. We preached a sermon this year and talking about these two men, and I'm telling you, even last night preparing, I couldn't keep the tears out of my eyes thinking about this, this guy who repented of his sins on his cross between, uh, next to Christ. I just want to play this. It's about three and a half minutes. Maybe some of you have seen it. I think some of you have actually enjoyed this and maybe even shared some of this on your own uh, social media. But would you listen to this with me for the next three minutes and catch this sense of what's happening? Without the preaching of the cross, without preaching the cross to ourselves all day and every day, we will very, very quickly revert to faith plus works as the ground of our salvation. So that to go to the old uh, Fort Lauderdale question, if you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense, I can't, I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you, were, you, were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You've never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor ranger. So we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you, are, you, are, you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? The guy said, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. <laughs> now, now, that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. And if I don't preach the gospel to myself all day and every day, then I will find myself beginning to trust myself, trust my experience, which is part of my fallenness as a man. If I take my eyes off the cross, I can then give only lip service to its efficacy, while at the same time living as if my salvation depends upon me. And as soon as you go there, it will lead you either to abject despair or a horrible kind of arrogance. And it is only the cross of Christ that deals both with the dreadful depths of despair 
and the pretentious arrogance of the pride of man that says, you know, I can figure this out and I'm doing wonderfully well. No, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free for God that just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Sure, we need to analyze the doctrine of justification and the doctrine of the scriptures, but the question I have for you today is this. Have you placed your faith and trust in the man on the middle cross? Young ones here today, have you looked at Jesus and placed your faith in him alone for your eternal destiny? God, I pray that we would not take our eyes off of Jesus Christ. This justification, this declaration of righteousness that we do not deserve. As we're standing in this courtroom, guilty, thank you for Jesus who stands in our place. And through the blood of Jesus satisfying your wrath, you now declare us righteous. And I pray, God, that there would be some here this very day who would put their faith and trust in the man on the middle cross, Jesus. My friends here today, if you have never done so, would you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? God's not telling you to clean up your life and then come to me. God's telling you, come to me. And we'll see what happens to this life of yours get cleaned up. Would you join me if you have come to Jesus Christ in saving faith? Would you join me in praising the God who in his sovereign plan provided for you the man on the middle cross to take your sins away? In just a minute, piano is going to play, and actually, I would invite the piano to play now. We're going to sing in just a minute this song in Christ alone. I'd like to invite our chaplains to come forward, elders to be prepared. I don't often do this, but I have seen this in the eyes, the lives of different ones who've come regularly the last couple weeks. You're debating. Is this worth it? Is this Jesus worth it? you come and talk to someone that could help lead you to the Savior? Maybe afterwards, maybe you can't move right now. 
Maybe afterwards you need to pray with someone and work through this in your own mind. Would you respond? For those of us who have come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, we have placed our faith and trust in the man on the middle cross. Would you join me in praising God for this man on the middle cross, Jesus? And then through this week, would you not take your eyes off this Jesus? It guides us between these two pitfalls, this the two sides of the cliffs as he was talking about, despair and arrogance. What's going to guide us in this path? It is by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the man on the middle cross. These chaplains and elders will stand here through the song service and will remain here towards the end of the service. Please, if God is pulling on your heartstrings to respond in faith, don't refuse this call even today. Our God, we thank you for the passage we can interact with today. Oh, I thank you for the free gift of grace. This grace, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, crucified on our account. I pray that we would keep our eyes on the man on the middle cross pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you for your listening ears this morning. I want to encourage you, don't drop out in the study of Romans. <laughs> We've got some good news now. We've held on to this, but here's the blessing of the book of Romans. These five verses that we just interacted with are just going to be unpacked through the rest of the book. Come back because we're going to learn more about this. We're going to see how this grace that we just talked about today touches into every decision we make in every day, through every day. This is called the journey of sanctification. And we're going to learn more of that when we get into further chapters. But thank you for listening so well today. Again, I would implore you, if God is pulling on your heartstrings, respond. Respond to his call of grace. Some of you came this morning ready, ready to share of your resources. We're not going to pass any offering plates. There's, there's boxes in the back that you're welcome to share through those or even share online if you'd like to do that. We're going to close out with an anthem of praise to God. And here's the song, In Christ Alone. <laughs>